everybody would say, get back to your seat as quickly as you can. I appreciate so much you coming out today. It is awesome to be in the Lord's house today. And uh, I want to say a special God bless you to a couple of folks and such just real quickly. As always, um, you know, we're three weeks into Sunday school and uh, still adapting to make sure we're here ready to go spiritually minded at 9 o'clock. I'm telling you that 30 minute window of time, you kind of feel the, 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 the loss of it, but you feel the gain of it when you're in class with these other students. And you see iron sharpening iron. Now, really, I have nothing but good. I've heard nothing but good feedback from people who are glad that they uh, that we have it and they're coming out. And so, if you're not a part of a Sunday school class, we've got one for you. Right? We've got one for you. We think you'll enjoy the fellowship that you'll make, and you'll, the doctrine, you know, is rich. And uh, so, I want to really encourage you. That is at 9 a.m. Um, secondly, again today, I just thank God that each one of you have come out to be in service. It's always good, and for each and every person here, I'll choose to, to name two in particular. It's always good to have Dr. Brassville and Sister Kathy when they're in service with us each time. It means a lot uh, personally, and I appreciate them so very much. Um, thirdly, and uh, they may have I missed the announcements because I was I was in the foyer for just a little while longer, but. I'm excited because JoJo's excited, and his excitement has, has bled over on me about his camp nights for the students and, and how thorough he is and how, uh, how he, this, he's, this is not just uh, throwing a date on the calendar for him, inviting a few kids and throwing you know, uh, you know, food out, popcorn for kids to pick up off the floor or something like that. And, uh, but no, this is something that he's really undergirding in prayer. He's pulling a structure of people together, um, inviting other churches, inviting young adults. Um, I think the principle is a really, is a, is a really profound principle. Why, why should what happen to the, happens to the students at camp on, they're there for four nights, five days, typically. And if you've ever been to a high school uh, camp or the, the, you know, out of the grade school age camp, they might have church till one o'clock in the morning. And those kids get, they get baptized in Pentecostalism and the fullness of it. And the, the principle is, but why, why, why should that be limited to just four nights a, a year, camp nights? So why, why can't they go and at least once a month recreate that environment where those students can be exposed to the moving of the Holy Spirit and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit and get acclimated to that environment, right? It might, it might result in us, uh, you know, having a hunger in us as well. And we've got our one Sunday night a month, at least to, for stimulus as of right now. And, 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 and there were some positives to, the, to it a week ago, but we, we certainly looked at some things that we can do to kind of shift and, uh, and, to, and to put us in that environment again. Because, uh, you know, I've said it all along. I always want to be a part of a people that believe in the power of the Spirit of God. I just don't want to be connected. I don't want to say that the body is the body. But, I mean, I just want to be in an environment where we're walking in agreement. Where we're just, we take limitations off God. Right? And we just say, God, uh, you know, you can do things. All things to Him are possible. And, uh, and so, you know, and yet we have to foster that environment, correct? We have to long, for, that's why Paul used the term earnestly desire. Whether it be spiritual gifts or his presence, you still desire, right? He'll meet us at the point of our desire, won't he? 
right? And then he typically does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can even ask or think. So I appreciate so much. There's, it means there's a, there's a lot of, of hope that's going on right now. In a time of despair, God is always moving. It's, where, it's whatever camp you choose to be in. You can be in the antagonist and pessimist, and you can be in the woe is me, or you can be, you know what, God is up to something, and he's moving. And, I, and that's what we're cho- choosing to be, and we hope that you feel that. I still live life with a smile. I get frustrated every now and then and get a little bit downcast at times, but I try to shake it off, right? Like Samson when he woke up and his hair was caught in the, in the whatever that thing was, the spindle or whatever that was, and he had to shake it off. He'd shake himself. You got to shake yourself sometimes, right? You just got to shake it off and say, you know what? God, uh, this, you, you promised us in your word that you were going to work all things for your glory and for our good. And we're going to put our faith and trust in him. This has nothing to do with my sermon, but I'm warming it up here just real quickly. And I'm so glad, again, that you're here today. I can't tell you how much it is an honor to serve as the pastor of our assembly with these other pastors that help so much. And the fellowship that we have and the unity that we have, it's a very special thing. And we really believe that God is doing things in our church family. And he's going to continue to do so. We've, you know, I've said since I've been the pastor of this assembly, and I'll, and I'll do so until I pass the baton and move on down the road. And Sherry and I get in the RV, and we go around the United States. And, um, but until that day happens, the best is always yet to come. It's always in front. It's never behind, not in God. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to tell you about, a little bit about my week here in just a moment. But I'm going to do so with an opening text, and then I'm going to come to it, and then I'm going to get you where I want you to go in a moment. And it's not going to be as doctrinal as it looks like. It's going to have a climatic moment towards the end that I really feel is life-changing. And, and I know that's preacher lingo, and almost every pastor says this is life-changing. And I know some of you are like, I've heard a lot of sermons that really wasn't life-changing And I can agree, I'm sure I've preached a number of those, but I'll tell you what, the truth is life-changing. Ephesians 1, if you have found it in your Bible where pages turn, then let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word. And if you didn't find it where pages turn, you can find it right there on the screen. Here, I'm going to read, I'd like to read about 100 verses, but I'm going to narrow it down to 12 if y'all could stand that long. Verse 1 says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Hebrides, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation, it's very important, he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote a four in a few words. So obviously this is not Paul's first epistle to the Ephesians, but he's written something briefly previously. Verse four, I just love verse four. I tell you, it's something you need to pray. Whereby, when you read, ye again, King James is plural. And it means all of us, right? And so when all of us read, all of us may understand his knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He received the revelation, and now he's praying that by his pen, when you read it, you're going to understand his knowledge and the mystery of Christ. 
which in other ages, it's really important that we understand this, was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That the Gentiles, here's that word Gentile, the Heberites, or the Wilburnites, or the Pangburnites, or the Concordites, or the Shirleyites, are y'all hearing me? I'll catch the Foxites, because I know I've got some of them in here too, as well. So that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof, I lost a little volume on the stage. If you don't care, it'll help me, and I won't lose my voice this much. Whereof, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, Paul references himself, who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Heberites the unsearchable riches of Christ amongst the Gentiles, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent now unto the, this is what Jason's referencing because we mentioned it on Wednesday night, to the intent that as this, as this revelation is made known unto you, you can even now make it known to principalities and powers. It's made known by the church, it says, to the intent unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we'll close on verse 12, and it's difficult to choose a closing place, but I chose this one. Let's read this one very slowly because I love this. In whom, in whom Christ, in Christ Jesus, we who the Gentiles, in this sense, because he's directing at least this passage in this context, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Man, isn't that powerful? Let's read that 12th verse one more time. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Christ or by the faith of him. So now with this here today, I want to talk to you about something. And it's something that based upon this text, if you understand what Paul is saying, he's talking about a mystery here. He uses the word mystery a couple of times in the text. He uses it more times in other passages, other epistles here. But the mystery that he's speaking of is not something that was created in this dispensation. It was present since the beginning. But what makes it a mystery is it was hidden in previous generations. But now it is being made known. Now the veil has been lifted. Now the revelation has been given. Now the light has come on. When light comes on, it doesn't make things appear in the room that weren't there. They were there all along. You just couldn't see them. But when the light comes in, then you discover that they were there. Paul is revealing to us the truth. What is this truth? He'll put it here on the title of the message, the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. That's going to be the subject 
of our message today, and I hope that stirs you. It stirs me. I get excited. Woo, that brings out the very best Pentecostalism I have inside of me when I think about the mystery of Christ, and maybe you'll understand at least what little measure of knowledge that I have in this subject here a little bit today. So let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to help us. Can we do that? Father, I'm so honored to be here and to share what I believe you have placed on my heart. I pray today, God of heaven, that you will work in and through me today to share. That just so I can almost be like Paul. Paul is praying when we read, we understand his knowledge. Whatever level of understanding you've given me, help me to be able to filter what Paul shares and share it with the people today, God. That's my prayer. I ask this today in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen and amen. All right, so you can be seated. Obviously, you're saying, Pastor, I don't need you to tell me when I can sit down. I understand that too as well. But I appreciate you standing to the honor of the Word of God or the reading of the Word of God. And before I began to kind of get into the heart of this text, because I'm going to here in just a little while. But I want to take you on a brief journey that I made this week based upon the sermon that I preached last week. And a little bit of the apprehension that I had kind of as I was unfolding it and then additional conversations with some of our, our other preachers that I've enjoyed, that I enjoy my fellowship with. And, and then even Sunday night, I had to, uh, this past Wednesday night, I went back and backtracked a statement that I had made and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I brought clarity and I brought, you know, and, and I don't think there was anybody confused afterward this past Wednesday night. But this past Sunday, I shared that I was going to um, begin a series that you can, you can say it's eschatological. And I know those are, again, theological words that most of us don't really use every day. But eschatology is simply the study of in things is what it means, the study of last things. And so there's an entire school of thought related to the uh, end of human history, the consummation of all things. There's a lot of biblical language that you can put. I, I, I like to just get to cut to the chase. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, and then cometh the end. You know, I referenced Bilbo Baggins last week on the journey that he made that was called the uh, unexpected journey. You know, at the very end, he said, I have finished my book. I've got a, I've got a, uh, I finally decided what the, how the book should end. And he lived happily all the days of his life, the end. And so there's going to come a the end moment, right? There's going to, we believe that, that in the context of the earth and the things that are therein and the way things are from the genesis of what we were studying this morning unto the consummation. But how all that unfolds is very complicated, right? And there are so many different viewpoints. And I'm telling you, to be honest, even the, the, the strongest uh, spiritual minds can get, can, can get uh, fatigued looking at it. And especially in the generation which we live in today, because it previously, often you, all you knew was what was in front of you. But now all you've got to do is have access to Google, Right and and even in my own personal studies, I have to I have to I have to very much draw back some because if I don't, you know, it becomes exhaustive, and and you're just like, oh my goodness, you know, and so you have to kind of hedge yourself in. So I felt like that when I made when I shared with you that the, the to be honest, some of my personal doctrine 
uh, doesn't necessarily differ from the typical AG doctrine, but it definitely angles away from some of it. And so I made an appointment, and I was blessed to be able to get that appointment with the district superintendent of the uh, Arkansas District of the Assemblies of God. And during that meeting, and he had no idea why I was coming in there. So it could have been a number of things, you know, and I'm sure he was hesitant. And then two times during the, towards the end, the phone rang, uh, which I know, you know, that's the old pastor's trick, that if somebody's been in the office long enough and, these, and they start having to take phone calls, I know that means it's time to wrap things up. And so, um, so that happened to me two times late in the conversation. <laughs> However, it wasn't me doing the majority. I was the one there. Uh, but it was a wonderful conversation. Brother Ronnie was very understanding. He appreciated my honesty because that's what I was there for. I was there to, be, to, to allow him to know that this is what's in my heart. I believe in the assemblies of God. I believe, there's three of us in this room, and we appreciate that, that you know you do. I believe in any fellowship that comes together in agreement that stays, uh, you know, in the confines of biblical truth. I thank God for the people that work together. That's all it is. It's a people group that's working together. And the Assembly of God has something called the 16 Fundamental Truths. And you've heard us reference them many times. And these 16 Fundamental Truths, though, but every minister. Now, you, you can have quite a bit of variation of your theological position. And it doesn't affect you that much. But me as a pastor and those of us that are credentialed in the assemblies of God, then we've agreed to be in agreement, right? And if something starts to shift within you, then you want to be a little bit accountable or you want to be completely accountable because you don't want to be destructive to the thing that you've spent your lifetime seeking to foster. Or y'all understand me for just a moment. So I want to put up here real quickly. So in, this, in the sense of eschatology and the 16 fundamental truths, there's 13 and 14 of them that I'm going to mention. Now, you may not can read that from afar. But I, I shared with Brother Ronnie. I said, Brother Ronnie, here's the honest truth. I said, I have hid in the gray area of 13 and 14. Verse number, thir- or not verse 13, but number 13 says, The blessed hope, the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep in Christ. And their translation together with those who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord is the imminent and blessed hope of the church. Which that phrase is from Titus 2 and 13. The reference to about alive and remain is taken from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. From which we typically extract the more familiar doctrine of the rapture from. To which I'm not alluding to much today. But verse or number 14, excuse me. Then here we see the second coming of Christ includes the rapture of the saints. Again, typically taken from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, which is our blessed hope, which is Titus 2 and 13, followed by the visible return of Christ with the saints to reign on the earth for 1,000 years. Now it goes on to say, then it speaks about that millennial that will bring the salvation of national Israel is the perception and the establishment of universal peace. Pause. I shared with him that I, I kind of vacillate in the gray area right here, a little bit of the room that I find between this, the, of the number 14, the rapture of the saints, followed by the visible return of Christ. And what I mean by that is, and you can remove that now, if you will, Lori, for just a moment, so that they're listening to me instead of trying to read all that. And that is because in typical... Uh, what we call dispensational theology in the assemblies of God is that a rapture takes place 
prior to what's more familiarly known as the seven-year tribulation period. Most of you are familiar with this. But what I want you to see is it's omitted in the 14th. It doesn't mention a tribulation period. It just simply says rapture followed by second coming. Because in the doctrine that I have taught, I teach the imminent return of Christ, and I don't turn my affection towards the possibility of a seven-year tribulation period. Now, for some of you, you don't really even know what I mean by seven-year tribulation period, and you're probably not going to today because I'm not going to go into that depth. The reason I'm putting that on the screen is I just want you to know that I was honest with him in saying that I hang out in this gray area because it's not necessarily defined in the fundamental truths, though it is elaborated on in great detail in statements of faith by the assemblies of God. But see, when I sign a piece of paper every year, me or Sharita signs that paper. Sometimes she's signing it for me. And I did confess that to Brother Ronnie. I said, I'm sorry, Brother Ronnie, I haven't seen that form in several years because Sherry signs it for me when she mails in that last, you know, uh, due every year. I said, but still, I'll, I don't, that, I'm fine with that because I've, I've hidden in the gray area, the gray area, because it doesn't mention that tribulation period. And you know what? He really appreciated my honesty. He appreciated the fact that I was down there because I said, if I begin to share some of these things, it's going a little bit against the familiarity that most people have, have come to associate with dispensation or with uh, eschatology in the assemblies of God. It's, it's, it's not, again, it's not conflicting with it, but it is actually, it's a, it, 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 it kind of drifts a little bit away from it. And I said, here's what I don't want to have. So let me put up the next thing, if we can, Lori, just real quickly. I don't, I want to, it's called under the Assemblies of God, Eschological Errors. And this is something that said, your credentials as a minister is jeopardized if an issue is made. And so I can, I can, even if, even some, there was four others, A, B, C, and D, that they listed what they believe were eschological errors. And they, you can possess those doctrines, but it says that you should refrain from preaching or teaching them should they persist in emphasizing these doctrines to the point of making them an issue, your standing in the fellowship will be seriously affected. And I was there to affirm to him that I have not and don't intend to teach things that are contradictory or that find themselves in those four things that you'd have to go online and read what those other four things were. And again, he appreciated that. And the reason why I was there is, again, I said, Pastor Ronnie, I said, I minister every Sunday with AG right here. And I said, I'm not going to go and begin to be destructive to something that I've spent 30 years functioning and fellowshipping amongst and where the people have been so kind. I said, if I ever arrived at the place where my doctrine was contradictory to the assemblies of God, I would respectfully and gracefully come in. And I would say, in the words of Jojo Riggs, it's been a good run. And then Sister Sherry would get our, and I would get on our, uh, the RV that we don't possess, but we would bother, bother, we'd maybe buy the Wilkins from them off of them, and down the road we would go. But that's not where I'm headed right now. It brought me peace in my heart to feel like that I was doing the right thing. But with that, I've still got to find, i got to find my right place to share because there's some things in my heart that I want to share that I believe, just like with Paul here. Paul had a revelation Thank God Paul was willing to fight through the resistance of his generation to share the revelation of the mystery of Christ. All right, let me go a little bit farther. Typical dispensational theology in the church is comprised of believing that Jews and Christians 
yet are part of God's church, but the dispensation that we're living in today is known as the church age. And dispensational theology typically teaches that God's covenant promises to Israel are waiting to be revealed first during the seven-year tribulation and culminating with the, with the second coming of Christ and then revealed during the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. And I can't say anything against the salvation of national Israel. I hope and pray. I pray for the eye of the Jew to be enlightened. I hope and pray that the veil that's on their heart and mind, even to this very hour, can be lifted and that they would know that Christ has come to redeem them from all sin. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so, again, typical discipline. And I shared with him, I said, really, at the heart of the matter, though, is, is a couple of things. And I said, I believe in the promises made to covenant Israel. I do. But the question that I often ask and the question that I pose is, but who really is covenant Israel? That's the question. That's the, then once he understood that that's where I leaned, he understood why I was there. So my conversation with, with Brother Ronnie without being asked to do so, I actually said, you know what? I think I'm going to move this teaching to Wednesday night, and I'll teach it educationally and not doctrinally. And he and I kind of agreed that might be the best place because then you could ask a question. You could raise your hand on Wednesday night, but typically I don't want you at raising a hand on Sunday morning and interrupting the flow of thought here for me on preaching. And so I kind of agreed on that. But then when I sat down amongst the staff, or not all the staff, but some of the staff, and we just visited and we were talking about it and praying about it, we're kind of a little bit unsettled with that because we really feel like we're on the edge of something powerful on Wednesday nights. We feel like we're on the edge that we, we feel like maybe we are a little bit too doctrinally heavy on Wednesday nights. And we need to pull that back a little bit because you want people, we've been teaching on the, on the gifts of the Spirit. And we said school ends on the 21st, is it the 21st or the 20th? The 20th, this Wednesday, school ends. We need to be those that are receiving the work of the Holy Spirit and manifesting the work of the Holy Spirit and not just studying about the work of the Holy Spirit. Come on. And it's still our belief that God has a very de de definitive purpose for this church as it relates to this community and this surrounding area that he wants to pour out something very special through you. It's our belief. And we believe that Wednesday nights we need to, we need to draw back some on doctrinal and that would take us even in greater depth. And then in our discussions, we were going just to, we were thinking, well, maybe, maybe even the study of eschatology with a little bit of it on Sunday morning might be too much because you've got, um, he said, you know, we've got Sunday school and then we got eschatology and does that really fold together? And I thought further and I thought, yeah, I mean, there's some truth in that. I can see that a little bit. But then I also thought, I said, man, we send our high school students to school every day and every day they learn English and science and algebra all before lunch. So I don't want to sell you short either that you can have the capacity to sit in a Sunday school class and learn something in Genesis 3 and then have the ability about 45 minutes later for me to turn to Ephesians 3 and you still receive it correctly. So I don't want to sell you short either. I could see a little bit of both sides. So it kind of put me in a place where I just like, I got to find the right place for this. I either have to adapt it to something so that I, I'm trying to be as transparent as I can with y'all here today. And, and, and it's because I, 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 here's something that's really true. For me, if I'm going to share something, I've been doing this too. I can't just get up here and give you a carbon copied lesson that I got off of sermon.com. You've heard me say that many times. It's got to burn inside of me. 
You know, I can't just come up here and say, you know what, back in the days gone by, there was a flood, and there was a, you know, there was a man called Noah. He was gray-headed. He had a big beard. He had three sons, and they built a boat, and they chopped it like this as wood, and there might come flood. I can't do that. i got to bring you something that gets down in your spirit, that has a revelation that the Spirit of God hovered over, and it burned in me. And when I got alone with God, I began to think about it. When I got alone with God, I prayed, and I said, God, let me understand Paul's knowledge in the mystery of Christ, and God, let it put my feet on solid ground and let it reveal to me the mystery of Christ so that when I come to church on Sunday morning, I got a word in my heart that I know that if you'll get a hold of it, if you'll have your eyes enlightened the way mine are enlightened, you won't live in despair, you won't live in depression, you won't live in fear, you won't live in unforgiveness. You'll be free because he that the Son sets free is free indeed, glory to God. I've got to have that. It's got to burn in here or it's not going to burn in your ears. And so some of these things, these subjects do stir me. They stir my study. They, they empower my study. I want to always be growing in faith, don't you? Peter said, he said, add to your faith. I shared that with the students today. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. I always want to be growing and learning and maturing and and. And I also want to feel like, and as a pastor, I want to feel like I'm contending for the faith. That was my very first message that I preached when I became pastor at Maranatha. And I borrowed from it and brought it here to Heber Springs also. Jude, verse number 3. Jude writes, he said that the time has arrived that we need to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And you know what? And I know I'm not debating like Paul was on Mars Hill. And I know I'm not in the midst of the synagogue where you might have unbelievers stand up on one side and, con and contradict everything that I say. But you know what we all have? We have a lot of strongholds in our mind. And you can even be kind-hearted and come here on a Sunday morning and be conflicted doctrinally, theologically, mentally. And my hope is, is that we're going to earnestly contend. We're going to come and hope to pull down strongholds in your mind so that those thoughts can be brought subject to the knowledge of Christ. Come on, somebody. And then, but you can't just live in the absence of those evil thoughts or wrong thinking. You've got to begin to think the right way. Right? That's part of what we're doing. That's what we do every time that we come together. And I believe that the doctrine of the mystery of Christ needs to be contended for. Even, I'm going to say this respectfully, even within our own fellowship. This doctrine is so varied, and there's such depth to it, that I can only scratch the surface of a, of a Sunday morning. Let's look at it again just real quickly here. And that's Paul's hope, verse 4. Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So there's two layers to that initially. First of all, but who is Christ? We've probably done a better job at times of attempting to identify who Christ is, that he came, uh, you know, according to the flesh. He was uh, born of a virgin. He was the, uh, the, the, the eternal Son of God, dwelling in the heart and mind of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune nature of God. And in redemption, God chose to separate, come on somebody, himself, separate his Son, and send him to live and to walk and to talk among us. He said, you are from below, but I am from above. Come on, somebody. And so he lived among us. He was Emmanuel, God with us. 
And he said to Philip, when Philip said, if you'll just show me the Father, it will suffice me. He said, Philip, how long have I been with you and you have not known me? He said, because if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. So there, there, there's such a depth to Christ and who he was. He was the Son of God, but he was the Son of Man. He was all God, but he was all man. Come on, somebody. And so it's a beautiful picture in the story of redemption. And, and, and so obviously the first declaration that was made known about his public ministry and who he was was made by John the Baptist. I shared that with the Sunday school class this morning that when John was in the murky waters of the Jordan River and waters flowing through his feet and one by one they're coming out of the Roman colonies. They're coming out of uh, uh, Judaism. They're coming out of paganism. And John's baptizing them, towards something until one day he lifts up his eyes and a lone silhouette begins to walk down the bank and get into the water and when he sees him when John lays his eyes upon him he said this right here is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world there's a little revelation of the mystery of Christ it had been hidden you want to tie the two things together Sunday school today to the doctrine it was hidden in the garden because man tried to to hide behind fig leaves that he sowed for himself. That's called religion. But God said, I'm going to cover you with the skin of an animal. And God slew a lamb in a garden and covered the transgression of Adam and Eve to give us a picture of the mystery of Christ. That one day on a tree called Golgotha or a hillside called Calvary there, the Son of God pillowed his head in death so that you and I could have our transgressions covered not by our religion, not by our human effort, but by God's redemptive plan. Man, that draws the best preacher out of all of us today, men. That's just a little glimpse. That's into who he was. But once his mission was accomplished, how many know it was accomplished? And he pillowed his head, and he gave up the ghost, and his last words were, it is finished. But the ramifications of that... I'm telling you, the very first ramifications of it shook the temple that was just across the valley, possibly, from where he was crucified. If he was crucified, where I think he was crucified at. And the ramifications of it was so, so impacting that the veil, the veil that separated, the veil that limited access to God. Are y'all hearing me today? It was rent in twain. There's the mystery of Christ. It was rent in twain from top to bottom. So that what, what did we read in the 12th verse? It said, through him in whom we have boldness and access. I have access to God by faith and by faith in him and also by his faith. Are y'all hearing me today? And so... With this, I want you to know, I believe in the power of forgiveness. Transgression. We've all sinned. I'll get to it in a moment. I thank God for forgiveness of sin, don't you? It's the greatest gift that God could give me. It's the, it's the, it's the revelation that he, he has. I've sinned. I don't know about you. Y'all look very pious here today. But I, when I look at the man in the mirror, I remember the things that he said and done. But I thank God today that he has put away my sin. But let me go one beyond that. And that's what Christ came to do. He didn't just come to deliver you from your sin. He came, listen to this, Colossians 1 and 13 says he came to translate you 
from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. I know where a lot of people are waiting for the kingdom of God to come, but I've come along to tell you, he said when he began his ministry, the kingdom of God's here now. And the moment you got saved, you came out of a kingdom of darkness and you were brought into the kingdom of his dear son. And that's a part of the mystery of Christ. Now that mystery that Paul declares was twofold. He said it in Romans chapter number one. He said the gospel is first to the Jew and also to the Gentile. He said though to the Jew, the preaching of the cross was a stumbling block. It was a stumbling block for the Jew. The revelation that the righteous requirement of the law was not satisfied through their attempt to be obedient to that righteous requirement. But rather, it left them still yet a sinner. That was a stumbling block when they preached it. They couldn't comprehend. Paul argued throughout his ministry that all have sinned. Heberite, Gentile, and Jew. We're going to put a few verses here on the screen. Romans 3 and 9. He said this, he said, are we better than they? No, in no wise. We have proved before, both, read it with me, Jew and Gentile, that we're all under sin. So go back to Genesis 3 today. By one man, Romans 5, Paul's looking back to Genesis 3. I don't have this text, but I shared it this morning. By one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. And sin and death passed to all men. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even if we didn't sin after the similitude of Adam's transgression. We were made sinners. We were born into sin. We were born with a propensity to sin. Sin was in front of us. And like Adam and Eve in the garden, we had the choice and we chose to sin. We're just as guilty as they are. And so Paul here is proving then that their attempt at keeping the law... It's not justifying them in the eyes of God. He goes on to say that in the 20th verse of Romans 3. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Only the revelation of sin by the law, not redemption from sin through the the law of Moses is Paul's argument. And that's much deeper than what I can get in today. I'm just going to keep trying to bring you back to the mystery of Christ. But I want you to see it was a stumbling block for the Jew. It was a stumbling block because they had been taught in the Torah, the keeping of the law would produce justification in God's eyes. And Paul is arguing something entirely different. Colossians would say in 2.16, let no man spoil you or judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath, all things of the law. He said because they were a shadow of things to come but not the very image of the same. Listen to what Hebrews 10 and 4 says. Remember, think about this from a Jewish perspective, not from your perspective. I'll get to your perspective in a moment. To a Jew, the Jew had the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law gave them the pattern of the tabernacle. It was replaced by the temple. It included the sacrifices, the brazen altar, the laver. It included the the way, the truth, the life, the holy place, in which was, uh, again, the table of showbread and the candlestick and the golden censer. And he said, and then beyond it, behind the veil in the most holy place, was the, was the law of commandments that was hidden in the Ark of the Covenant, and only the high priest could 
go. There was no access to that true presence of God. But if you could keep the law, you could find some measure of redemption. That was their belief and their mind. But look what he said in Hebrews 10 and 4. He said, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. It didn't matter how many bulls, how many goats. Did you read there are times that there were thousands of goats slain, thousands of sheep slain. Blood flowed freely on the temple mound because of their sacrifice for sin. But Paul here, or the writer of Hebrews, excuse me, is concluding that it's simply not possible. And I love what he said earlier in chapter 9, verse 12. Not, but, but how's access? Where's the point of access? That's the mystery of revelation for the Jew. Where's the point of access then? And in Hebrews 9, he said, neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by his own blood, he entered into once into the holy place, and he obtained eternal redemption for us. Glory to God. I tell you what, we're going to talk about Hebrews in our Sunday school in several weeks from now. We're going to have a fall, as was prophesied, where we're going to be getting into, and what we're doing is we're getting into the mystery of Christ. Are you hearing me today? So to the Jew, I'll tell you, Paul's ministry, as strong as it was, I'll tell you what, it was met with unbelief many times. If you read the accounts in the book of Acts, there would be some who would believe, but many times his greatest opposition were by the people that he loved the most, that his heart ached for the Jewish community. Matter of fact, there's multiple times when Paul just said, your own blood be upon your head. He said, henceforth, I'm going to the Gentiles. Because their hearts were so hardened, their minds had been so trained that salvation was through the Torah. And, Mo, and, and, and Paul is arguing that the Torah's purpose was to point us to something, not to deliver us from. It couldn't. It was limited. But it could reveal Oh, y'all here. Man, that's good today. I'll tell you again, I can't apologize for this today. It's tied to your Sunday school lesson, but I'll tell you what, there's revelation in what I'm saying here today. Not my revelation, Paul's revelation. My responsibility is to challenge you that when you read, you should be able to understand the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. Now, what about for the Gentile, the Hebrewite? I'll tell you what we were. We were the paganites. We didn't have God. We didn't have access. We didn't even know about God. We just we were born into sin. We didn't even have knowledge that we were sinning many times, right? If you didn't have the revelation of the law, you didn't even know certain things that God said are transgression to him. You didn't know it because you just were living into the dictates and desires of the flesh. We were idolatrous. We were pagans. We abused ourselves. We abused others. We were uh, without, uh, you know, the, the Bible says without conscience in a lot of things. We had no knowledge of God. We were the strangers and foreigners to the covenant promises of Israel. As a matter of fact, Paul said, you were so far off. You were so far away from the access point. But now in Christ Jesus... Through the atoning blood shed on the tree. All who were afar off. It doesn't matter whether you were a good sinner. Sinning a little. Pretty nice. It doesn't matter. You were still a sinner. Right? You were st- or whether you were the, the, the most wicked of people. I want you to know there's still access to God. If you'll come through the virtue of Jesus' atoning blood on the tree. And that's why Paul's arguing in chapter 2, which we won't go into. He said, by the blood, whether you were afar off, the Gentiles, 
or whether you've heard me say this many times, or whether you were near the Jews, he said there's one access point now, and that's through the person of Jesus Christ. And you can have access with confidence through the faith of him. Are you, in, are you hearing me today? Are y'all catching hold of what I'm saying? But the mystery now, here's where I'm going to go. My, here's where here's what I want to try to shift this and make this real to us so that I can really bring home the point that's deep in my heart today. It is this, is that my belief, my belief is, is that when we get brought into the family, we really get brought into the family. That we're not, can I say this please, please, I hope I don't offend anybody, but we use this as a cliche, we're not stepchildren in God's kingdom. And I don't mean that, and please forgive me, but you understand that's been used that way in language, and we've all said it at some level. No, you're brought in. Fully vested. No longer a stranger. No longer, I'm not walking around with a green card in my pocket. Are you hearing me? I'm a citizen, a fellow citizen of the saints, and I'm of the household of God, right? He's my father. I can say, I can point to Abraham and say, that's my father. I can point to David. I can point to Moses. I was brought into the tree, I was brought into the family, right? And you know what, you've heard me preach on the, on the, on the olive tree of uh, Romans 11 many times, and I'm sure I'll get there in the days ahead. But I'm telling you, I draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Today I'll read verse number 6, again of Ephesians 3. Read it with me again. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers, catch that, of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now here's where some of the, 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 the little bit of the division is created. Just to be honest. I'm going to cut to the chase on this. Many agree in the Christian church but disagree. Because they say yes. Yes that's true for the church. Made up of Jews and Gentiles. But that God's covenant is still with Israel or the Jews. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be disrespectful of that theology. And I'm not trying, I don't teach it conclusively. I, I, there's still some gray area there. I don't know how some things are all going to come out. But my rebuttal is, to that is, I personally believe God's covenant is with Jesus. I honestly believe it was with him. See, the term Israel, just a moment, is, is applied in Scripture to different contexts. It was applied to Jacob. Israel's, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Right? Jacob meant deceiver, Israel meant prince. His name was changed. Israel also is applied to Jacob's sons, the 12 sons of Israel, of Jacob. It's also and directly and many times applied to the ethnic descendants of Jacob. Yes, it is. But it was also applied to the northern 10 tribes, and the two southern tribes were alluded to as Judah. Paul referenced Israel as natural Israel. But Paul also used the term, the Israel of God. And did you know there's also a reference where it says, out of Egypt I have called my son, where Jesus is alluded to as Israel. So there's a lot of variations there. So real quick, let me take you real quickly to my argument, because I'm going to bring it to a, a, a quickened point at the end that I hope that it puts as much zeal in you as it has in me. Are you all here today? Let me check my time. Are you all still with me today? 11.28. We're doing pretty good today. Amen. All right, on time-wise, let's go a little bit to the argument. 
In Galatians 3, we're going to put this up for a moment. Galatians 3 and 16. Now to Abraham, and then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to layer this here, and then I'm going to come back to another. To, Paul is actually extending Jesus' own teaching, and I'm going to show you that in just a moment, here for a moment. So there's a little bit of teaching, a little bit of preaching, and then I'm going to come to one climatic moment to end in just a moment. Are you all here? So look at this. Look what Paul said. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now remember what Paul's writing. It was hidden. It was hid. It was, it was there, but it was hidden that the promises were made. Not to seeds as of many, but to one. And that to that seed, which is Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. The covenant promises to many or to one. And that one is Christ. Let's read down chapter number 3, verse number 26. I think I gave her. For you are all children of God. How? By faith in Christ Jesus. He writes again, verse 29. I think it's the last that I gave her. And if you be Christ, I don't know who you think you are, but I know who I am, glory to God. I can look back to what God told ancient Israel in the time he was dealing exclusively with them, saying, I've set my love upon you. That's what he told them. I've pulled you out of other nations to reveal myself to you. And it wasn't because you were holier or greater than any other nation. Matter of fact, he said, you're a stiff-necked people. He said, but out of my love, I have chosen to love you. And now I was a sinner just like they were, right? But in Christ Jesus, he brought me out of darkness and brought me into his marvelous light. And I can lift my hands every day in the sanctuary. I can lift up my eyes. I have access with confidence, not through me, but through him. I can come in boldly by the virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ. I have access to the holy God that was shrouded behind the veil where no man could go but the high priest once a year. But now you and I in prayer, we can go boldly into the throne room of grace, full of love and thanking him every day for redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. That's the mystery that was hidden for thousands of years, but Paul is concluding it's now being made known. Right? And it is for both the Jew and in this context here, you are Christ. You, ye plural, are Abraham's seed. And you are heirs according to the promise. Man, I'm preaching a good word to you today. Oh my God, I know everybody say that. I'm not saying, oh my God, the way that we do in slang. I'm saying it to the Father. We live lives so often downcast, disheartened frustrated, aggravated, I was born this way, I was in this, my family talked. There comes a moment that you got to say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm just going to stop blaming everybody. I'm born again. I couldn't enter into my mother's womb the second time and get born, no. But he sent his spirit into my heart, and I was redeemed, and I'm now a fellow citizen with the saint. Old things passed away. All things have now become new. I can think differently, act differently, talk differently, and live differently. Glory to God. I can walk in the favor and the blessing of God. I can love people that hate me. 
right? I can be kind to people that have hurt me, glory to God, because of the supernatural power of the Spirit of God that's on the inside of me. How can I do that? Well, it's not through me, but it's through Him, through love me. His Spirit dwells inside of me. It's all part of the mystery of Christ. He came to us. He didn't leave us alone. Remember, the mystery of Christ wasn't just what He came to do, but it was who He was. He said He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's tabernacled among us. Matter of fact, I feel Him right now. He's in this room right now. By His Spirit, He's here among us today. And I have access with confidence through the faith of Him. Now, what I'm preaching to you today is what Jesus Himself. We're going to go into that. I didn't give them a lot of verses here. This, Paul is actually extending Jesus' own arguing with the Jews of His generation. Now, I hope that you think that the doctrine I have is not anti, how do you say, anti-Semitic? Close enough? And uh, because actually, I mean... My prayer, what was Paul's prayer? My prayer to Israel in according to the flesh is that they would be saved. I want them to know Jesus. Come on now, are y'all out there today? I want them to know. In John chapter number 8, is a, you got to read this on your own. I had originally brought all 12 verses. Time's not going to allow me. We're only going to read about four verses or five verses. We got verse 19 on the screen first. And then I'm going to turn it here in the Bible so I have it right here in front of me too, not just on the page. In, in John chapter number 8, verse number 19, I believe it is, right there. And Jesus said to the Jews, he's speaking with Pharisees. And, 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 and they, they asked him, he said, where is thy father? And Jesus said, look what he responded to him. He said, you don't know me. I've said that, you don't know me. See, when I say that, I'm just saying it because that's what Jesus said. Norm, Sherry thought it was funny. She's my laugher. Did y'all see that? I'm always funny in Sherry's eyes. Thank God for that. <laughs> he said, if you had known me, do y'all not want to read that? Because I mean, you've been taught one thing. He said, he said if you had known me, you would have known my father. Hmm. Let's go a little bit farther into what he said. Verse 24, let's go a bit farther. I said, therefore, unto you that you're going to die in your sins. Because if you don't believe that I'm he, you're going to die in your sins. That doctrine is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Are you hearing me today? Right? Now, let's go a little bit farther with it here. It's going, it's, or you've got to read this on your own. And verse number 33, they answered him, we're Abraham's seed. There's the argument. And we're never, we're Abraham's seed. We are the progeny of Abraham. We have Abraham's lineage, and we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Fair argument, right? Verse 39, here's what Jesus said in rebuttal to that. They answered and said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children... So he said, in this context, there's a difference between the natural seed of Abraham and being one of Abraham's children. You would do the works of Abraham. And lastly, in verse 42, and I, you've got to read it all. Keep it in its context. Meditate on it. It brings life to you. He said this to the Pharisaical Jews of his generation, if God were your father, you would love me. Let's go back to the mystery of Christ. For I proceeded forth and came from God. I did not come of myself, but he sent me. That's the mission. Are, are you here now? Are you catching this today? My purpose is this. My purpose is for you to gain boldness 
and confidence in your access to God through Christ. As you learn, as you have a revelation that you are a fellow citizen with the saint and you are of the household of God. I told you many years ago, I was in F.L. Davis. I've told you this more than one time. And it was something that was on TV. There's a lady at the back counter. And she was working there. And there was something on the TV and it was the news and it was talking about the modern state of Israel. And I remember her words and just how they, how they, what she said. And I just thought she needs revelation because she said this. She said, oh man, you don't want to mess with the Jews. Those are God's chosen people. And I understand the context of what she's saying. But in doing so, she's omitting and not walking in the revelation where Jesus said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Right? And he said, I have taken you out of darkness and brought you into my covenant. And you and I, we may not have been born in the natural lineage of Abraham, but I'm ever much as part of the family. Come on, somebody. Right? And I've got covenant promises that are through Christ. Glory to God. And I know they're fighting over land and all that, and that's fine. And I'm not for or against, I'm not, I'm kind of bland on all that. But you know what? I ain't got my eyes set on 300, you know, square miles and about 120 miles east to west, 300 north to south, 120 east to west. Abraham said his eye was on an eternal city. His eye was on a city whose builder and maker is God. Come on now, church family. There's something far bigger, far grander, something so much greater, and that's what Paul's argument was. But, so I'm not, I'm not attempting to devalue the natural and the physical descendants of Abraham. Some of them are born again, and I say thank God because we entered into their covenant. Right? Many do not believe, and in the olive tree analogy of, 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 of Romans 11, they're broken off of unbelief, but we're warned to not be proudful because if we fail to believe, we can be broken off too, right? And so we'll talk about that later, and here's where I'm getting ready to close. Progeny was very important to ancient Israel. It very was. They were instructed and expected to maintain a certain bloodline according to the Mosaic law. They were forbidden to marry the seven nations of the Canaanites. Did y'all know that? But did you know that in keeping... Because God was keeping the covenant until the seed should come. The mystery of the inclusion of the Gentiles means, and I'm getting ready to stay with me now. This is the apex. I'm coming to the apex. I've said all that to bring you to this. So don't, don't get lost in all of that and just stay with me because I've saved the best for last. I honestly believe. The mystery of the inclusion of the Gentiles means it was present all along. But it was hidden and veiled. But if we now through revelation look close enough, we can see that it was present all along. Now listen, let me say this. Back in ancient Israel, certain people groups were prohibited from ever entering the congregation of the Lord. Now there's a couple of verses that we won't really go into today. But there's one in particular <laughs> that I'm going to focus on. There's a couple people in here today that know exactly what I'm talking about. But the rest of you don't. So that's all right. We're going to keep that private. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse number 33. I want you to see what God said in verse number 3. An Ammonite and a Moabite. Now, it was all right to be a Shirleyite and a Heberite. But the, this is the two you didn't want to be a part of. Because he said they, they won't enter the congregation of the Lord even to the 10th 
generation. They're not going to enter the congregation of the Lord forever. Those are strong words, isn't it? And, and in that text, Moses reveals God's heart of why he was saying that. It's because they didn't honor Israel during the Exodus, but we won't go into all that here today. But the reality, here's the reality real quickly. When you follow ancient Israel, there were times when there was always a mixed multitude among them. Always. It wasn't always just natural descendants of Abraham. And sometimes there was assimilation. Sometimes those people groups were assimilated into the congregation. That's why he's writing about this. He's saying these two, the Ammonite and the Moabite, even during times of assimilation, you got to keep them out. Keep them out. And so, so that's, that's strong words. Ten generations, and then not only ten generations, he even put the last two words, forever, right? Put that on the end. But there's, this is where the mystery of Christ is going to be made known to us here today in closing. So I want to take a moment, and I want to take you into Paul's preaching for just a moment, when he's preaching on his first missionary journey. Now stay with me, we're going, we're going, this is the apex, Acts chapter 13, two verses. You've got to read it with me for a moment, and then we're going to come back to this thought for just a second. So Paul has now began his missionary journey. First one, he goes to Antioch in Pisidia, and he goes to a synagogue, which becomes his pattern. So he's preaching to twofold. He's preaching to the Jewish people and to what's called God-fears. By the time of, the, uh, of, the, of this period right here, the time of Paul, you could be not a, a, of the progeny of the Jew and still be called a Jew. By this time, it was more than just assimilation like what just, well, if you fully converted to Judaism, if you were water baptized and circumcised, then you were considered a Jew according to Judaism. And so you had Jews, but you also had God-fearers. You had those who weren't circumcised, but they still believed in the God of the Jews. So Paul's preaching. He's ministering to this group, and there are some Gentiles that are, that are scattered among them. We're not getting into all that today. Two verses, though, draw your attention. And in the midst of this, he's preaching. Remember the Jews. And when he removed from them, look, verse 22, and when he had removed him, being Saul, the first king of Israel, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony. And he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all of my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Now, isn't that powerful? Now you say, Pastor, well, what, now why are you bringing that up? Because the moment that the Jew in that first century synagogue heard the word David and the son of David, the progeny of David comes to his mind, including the genealogy. There is a revelation in this because in David we get a glimpse of the doctrine I'm preaching to you, the mystery of the Gentiles. Because, listen very carefully, David, as noted by Paul, was the son of Jesse, who was the son of Obed, who Obed's father was named Boaz. And Boaz was a little bit older in life, and he hadn't got married yet. And finally, when he chose to get married, it's because he looked up to a field and he saw a young girl gleaning in his field who was a Moabite. And this Moabite 
His name was Ruth. And many of you know her story because according to that time, she had a conversion. What was her conversion? When Naomi got ready to leave the land that they had been dwelling, she said, go back. Naomi said, go back. Go back to your own nativity. But Ruth said, where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'm going to live. And where you die, I'm going to die. Because listen what she said. She said, your people are going to be my people. And your God's going to be my God. Listen, listen, let me go further. Why is that important to us today? It's because the doctrine of the mystery of Christ is not based upon your progeny. It's based upon your faith. By your own confession of your mouth. Do you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth? And so God in the book of Deuteronomy said, We're not going to bring a Moabite into the family tree for even ten generations. But three generations above David, a young Moabite girl pressed her way in by faith. And God grafted her into the family tree. And now she's the great, great grandmother, the great grandmother of King David. Glory to God. So don't tell me that we are outside the covenant promises of Israel. And so here's what, they, here's what, here's, oh, I love this. i got to close on this. I'm preaching too long. But here's what Boaz himself said to Ruth. He said, and let a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. And I tell you today, I'm so grateful for the mystery of Christ. Paul, in Romans 10, says, If you believe in your heart, just like Ruth of old, and confess with your mouth, God will take you, whether you're near or far, and he'll bring you into his family by virtue of the blood of Jesus. The mystery of Christ is this. As Daryl joins me on the platform, if you would. The covenant people of God are not necessarily the natural seed of Abraham alone, but it's of the seed of faith, those who believe. Do you believe today? You can tell I believe. I hope you believe. There's so much more. There's so much more depth. There are people that can talk on this so much deeper than I and I'm going to be honest, there are some who would contend with this doctrine. But I just want you to know I have such joy in praying, God, let me see when I read and understand Paul's knowledge in the mystery of Christ. For I believe that if it weren't for that revelation, I would not be a fellow citizen. I would not be of the household of God, and I would not be an heir to the promises of God. And in Paul's own words, I would be without God, without Christ, and I would have no hope in this life. And that's the plight of every Jew and every Gentile who doesn't know Christ. Church family, today, today, I want you to know Jesus Yeshua in the Hebrew language. I wrote it this way. It may differ slightly from some of your doctrine. That's why I was in, my, in Pastor Ronnie's office this past week. True Israel is not simply a national lineage. Rather, it's a people of faith. A people of faith. 
We haven't displaced those. We join those. We join those who believe. My access to God, to His Word, His presence, His promises are all because of Christ. Let me say this as I'm closing. Have any of you ever, have you ever read Psalm 23 during a really difficult time in your life? Have you ever read that? Then you have, haven't you? I mean, right, it's, it's, a spe- it's the world's most recognizable passage of Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lie. Right? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's a beautiful psalm that speaks of God walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Even making us to lie down in the presence of our enemies. Our cup running over. Goodness and mercy. I know everybody lives like, oh, woe is me. Or some people do. I'm a, I want to walk every day like, I, goodness and mercy. Over both shoulders, one over each shoulder. Following me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Think of that, pause. And think about the one then who said these words. He said, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving, and I will enter his courts with praise. That's Psalm 100. So it's speaking of access. David here is firmly convinced that he's got access to God. But his great-grandmother was a Moabite that according to that Mosaic law said you can't become a part of the congregation of the Lord if it wasn't for the mystery of the inclusion of the Gentiles hidden in plain sight. That God was revealing it even then. And if Christ did not include us, you and I couldn't even, we couldn't even read Psalm 23. We'd have no covenant right. We could, during the days of COVID, everybody was walking around praying Psalm 91. Even folks who didn't even know much about the Bible. You were suddenly like saying, no plague going to come near my dwelling place, right? You didn't even know where it was coming from, and you were reading it. You would have no right to that verse. You'd have no right to pray it, petition God for it, stand in confidence if it wasn't for the mystery of Christ that brought you from afar and brought you into the family of faith. Come on, somebody. That's the beauty. I'm just on the surface of it today. It changes your life. You live life with joy because you know that you are a part of God's covenant family. That's what I hope that you can see. Even if my doctrine differs just a little bit of some of the eschatological views of even some in our fellowship, we got to move past that enough to just say, I want to have the freedom, the freedom and the joy that comes from knowing that I am His and I'm in the family. I hope you have that faith. I hope you possess it. It gives you great joy and comfort. I don't pillow my head at night wondering if I'm saved. I pillow my head at night knowing I am saved. Tribulation, trial, seven-year tribulation, age-long tribulation. Paul said, no tribulation can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
Come on, somebody. That's where I think eschatological teaching should teach us, to we're firmly rooted and grounded in Him. And so today, I've got a twofold prayer for you here to close. I feel the Lord in here today, don't you? I hope that you have. I hope that my message has been something that has stirred you today. You can see that it stirs me. It's Christ. I want to give you an invitation, twofold. Number one, as our heads bow and our eyes closed in the presence of God, right where you're at. By faith. It's by faith. Listen, I'm not talking about joining the church. I'm not talking about, and it's 1153, and I understand I'm right at the, right at the climatic time, so I've, I've kind of hid in the margins today. It's by faith. So, Pastor, how do I become a part of this family? Is there a process? Is there, is there a place to sign up? Is there, how do, how do I have to do it? You believe in your heart, and you confess with your mouth. We saw the picture image in the old covenant of Ruth. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She believed in her heart, and she confessed with her mouth. That's where Paul took both Jew and Gentile in Romans 10. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and you will be saved. Can I pray with somebody here today under the sound of my voice that says, Pastor, if you'll pray a prayer with me, I want to confess it. I believe it, but I want to confess it. Slip your hand up if that's you today, because I'll give room. I'll, give, I'll add that to my prayer today, today in Jesus' name. Is there anyone today? No one has raised their hand, so I'm going to trust, based upon that, that we're all part of the family of God. Won't you stand up with me today, and we're going to close in prayer. And here's how we're going to pray. How many know you want to continue to grow in grace? Right? And in doing so, you've got to let God challenge you in a lot of areas, right? And, and, if it's, and, and, I not, and I don't want to become so dogmatic in my theology and ideology that he can't reveal something to me in the heart of his word that brings glory to him and liberty in my life and, 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 and freedom to others. But I want, I want to go back, Lori, if you will, to that fourth verse. Let's go to the third and fourth verse because this is how we're going to close in prayer today. It's, I, I want to pray with you in closing today. With every person. I don't care how long. Jay said it a moment ago. And he said, if you've been saved 75 years, it doesn't matter. You want to grow. You should always. Look at verse 3 and 4. We're going to say this. Paul here says, it was by revelation. It was by revelation. Now jump to verse 5, if you can. Jump to verse number 5. That what re This revelation in other ages... It was not made known unto the sons of men. It was, it was present, but it wasn't made known. But it is now revealed to his apostles and prophets. Go back to the fourth verse. In light of that revelation, Paul is saying, I pray, in essence, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Isn't that beautiful today? That should be our prayer. It's my prayer. I pray, it, I pray it regularly in my prayer time. God, when I read, come on, when I'm studying the Word, let me know, let me understand Paul's knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Let's pray that today in dismissal, can we today?
Can we pray that? Would you pray that with me in your own way before the Lord? Would you take just a minute here? It's a beautiful Sunday, and you've been so respectful, and I have felt the presence of God in here today. I feel very much validated from where I was last week to where I am today. I believe the ups and the downs of this past week have brought clarity and brought me to a place to preach with the clearest of convictions. And my prayer for you, as you pray, is that God, by His Holy Spirit, will give you understanding as you read, as it relates to Paul's revelation of the mystery of Christ, which he confirms in the sixth verse that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs were of the same body, and were partakers of his promise in Christ. Father, I pray over my church family, every person, from those that have been here for my whole time that I've been here for 20 years, God, to somebody that walked in the church last week, I pray over everyone today. I pray that when they read, that God, they're going to begin to understand, even if it's in glimpses, even if it's in bit by bit, Paul said we go from glory to glory, from revelation to revelation, from depth to here. God, take us, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, bring us into the deeper revelation of the mystery of Christ. And as, Father God, in the context of our, of our genealogy, though we're not numbered in the natural seed of Israel, Father God, we've been grafted into the tree. And we're so thankful we're going to draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. And so I bless the people, God. Bless their time of study. Bless the time of reading. Bless the time of, of meditation. And then let it become a part of who they are. That they will walk differently, God. They will walk differently, talk differently, act differently. They will live differently, God. Because of the revelation of the mystery of Christ and their inclusion in the family of God. In Jesus' mighty name, come on somebody, say it with me, that's a terrible amen, in Jesus' mighty name, come on, amen and amen. If you received anything at all from the Lord, from His Word today, I want to bless you. I got to make.